Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. All right, welcome. Um, today, uh, first of all, my name is Larry Davis. Yeah, sorry. It usually happens when I say my name out loud. Everywhere I go, I'm like, hey, my name's Larry. Woo! Like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no. Well, yeah, so a lot of you are probably wondering why I'm wearing this medal around my neck. It's because I, yesterday I ran 13.1 miles. There's a couple over here that did it too. And, uh, and no more than 13.1 miles. I mean, not even an inch. <laughs> I was D-U-N. So if you've ever thought, I cannot do that, I can look at you and say, yes, you can. Uh, you may not run it, but you will finish it. So, that was really cool, and not cool at the same time. <laughs> Anyways, we're uh, in the middle of this series uh, called He Is Not What You Expected, and today we're going to talk about He Is, Jesus, uh, Messiah, Savior, and uh, I'm excited this morning to dig into that, and um, so we're just going to spend some time and just kind of digging into what that means, and the first thing um, that I want to do, or actually... Th- Today, this morning, the, the main thing I want to do is answer the question. Um, I don't know if many of you can really give a good answer or a, a very specific answer, but why, why do we need a Savior? Like, why did Jesus come in the first place? Um, so I want to answer that question this morning with you guys in a very specific way. And the first thing I want to start with is that something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong. How many of you guys would look at the world today and it just makes you depressed or frustrated or despaired or discouraged or even bewildered. Yeah. You're looking around and you read the news. You just look at, on a smaller level, even in your own life. On a smaller level, you can look at your own life and the people you know, the people you love, you see suffering, you see loss, you see pain, you see injustice, you see evil, you see all of these horrible things. You see death, you see sickness, mourning. And what I find curious is that Christian and non-Christian alike just can't seem to, to, to grasp or come to grips with that the way the world is today is the way the world should be right now. It's exactly as it should be because something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone terribly wrong. And it's not that we haven't made efforts to try to fix it, uh, what's going on, all these bad things. We fought wars to kill the bad guys. Uh, no one can really agree on who the bad guys is. Uh, you know, many times the bad guy thinks the other guys are the bad guys. We spend much money on that. Governments exist in large part to try to improve the lives of their citizens, at least in theory. Maybe um, if we just throw more money at it, things like that, government, uh, governmental systems, um, nonprofits, agencies, if we throw more money into those sorts of things that do more good to help more people, maybe that'll help. Maybe that'll make the world a better place because something has gone, we live in an awful place, this world that we're growing up in. We need to help more people. Maybe, maybe it'll make a, a, the quality of life for people feel better, but nothing seems to help. We, we work at making more medical discoveries. We figure if we can diagnose more medical problems, we can give them more medicine, and that'll help improve overall health, but to no avail, to no avail. Seems like every effort's been made, and, and nothing has improved the quality of life or the people on earth. And as a pastor, I would tell you that this is the most excruciatingly painful part. As a pastor, along with the other pastors here at this church, and even pastors all over the world, one of the primary things we do is to deal with death and sin. 
It's just the world that we live in. We have a front row seat to sin and carnage and its effects. Day in and day out, 24 hours a day, we're dealing with people and the sin that has been done to them or they have done to others and the effects of it and just that constant uh, flow. We deal with the people who are in sin, some repentant, some unrepentant. Sometimes we deal with all of those together. We deal with the consequences of sin. And sometimes in doing so, we contribute to the problem when we sin ourselves and we're there to help. We end up sinning uh, ourselves. And as a result for me, I can tell you, uh, as I want to be really open and honest today, um, that some really dark moments of sadness and grief and despair come over me. Not hopelessness, but just some really dark, deep, saddened moments of just grief, deep, painful awareness that something has gone terribly wrong. And that the way the world is right now is not the way the world was supposed to be. I mean, I, 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 I have young children, and I'm even afraid watching my kids grow up, and I didn't even grow up that long ago. I'm still growing up. And the world that they're growing up in now, it's devastating. And the way that people treat each other, this isn't the way that's supposed to be. And I've been up many nights late, and uh, my wife, uh, Michelle, um, would, would say to me, as I've been particularly burdened on, on some grief or some things that have um, certain people are going through uh, that they've shared with me, and I'm carrying that, and that are either are in sin or have been sinned against, and they're experiencing this, this moment right now, and they've shared this with me, and my wife have been up late before and has made comments to me and will say, I'm worried about you, and I would say, why? And she would say, you know, emotionally, you hit these places where it seems like you carry the load so deeply it just sort of devastates you. And I would say, it does. It really does. Uh, some of you, you know, like to get isolated or introverted or disconnect from that, you know, the news or the papers or just, you know, you ask somebody how they're doing and you really don't want to know because you really don't want to deal with it. And um, I can't do that. We can't do that because uh, that's where we live. There's no choice. Uh, we have to live in the reality of sin and the effects that it has on people constantly. And sometimes it's devastating. It's just, it's devastating. I've actually, um, more recently, you know, personally, as I'm sharing, been on my own hunt, talking to anybody and everybody I can that I feel like has wide, wise words on the subject of, how do, you, how do you go home at night and not take other people's stuff to bed with you and wake up in the middle of the night? Now, I'm going to tell you as a disclaimer, I, I shared this the first service, and you know, many, many people were worried about me. I'm like, I can't tell him anything bad anymore. We have to talk about good stuff. <laughs> He's not sleeping. <laughs> um, you know what? God wouldn't have me do anything else, and I, and I can tell you that um, I love it and I hate it. I hate the sin, and I love the people, and I wouldn't do anything but walk alongside of people as they're going through it. Because they need that person. I'm going to tell you, I hate the sin part and what it does to both of us. I, the number of people that I've heard personally tell me that I was abused, um, that I was raped, that I was molested, my dad beat me, people told me that I was no good, people walked out on me, my spouse cheated on me, someone said they loved me, I slept with them, they dumped me. 
uh, the people that told me that their spouse was unfaithful and the calls that I get late night uh, as a pastor um, or even during the day uh, is overwhelming. It's devastating. I still remember one very specifically. It was a pastor, Larry, I just suffered my fifth miscarriage. Why? Why do babies keep dying in my womb? I don't know how to respond to that. I can remember my most devastatingly earlier past, early pastoral moment um, that I will never forget, and it was a, a young uh, college-age man, um, because of the sin in his life and the sin that had been done to him, decided the best way to fix it was to take his own life. And so he shot himself, and I remember going over to the home where he had shot himself. His, his parents had shown up there, and his mom was there, and in that moment trying to comfort them, and because of, because of that, that this had happened and felt no other way out. Um, I'll never forget that I didn't know beforehand that when, you know, the authorities come or the, all those people come, they take the body away, but they don't clean up the mess. And I'll never forget the moment of watching this mom, this woman, uh, on her knees cleaning up the mess um, that this young man had left behind because of the sin that was done to him and the sin in himself. Something has gone terribly wrong. So, what went wrong? Before that, I want to talk to you guys about what went right. So let's talk about what went right. So this morning, if you guys have your Bibles or just I encourage you later because I'm going to go through this real fast, uh, I'm going to be talking about like utopia, the very beginning. It's in the very beginning of the Bible. It's in Genesis. It's the first two chapters of Genesis. It is all right. Uh, I can't think of a better word than utopia. Everything was perfect as it should be. Uh, as it was originally intended to be, as it was made, it was vibrant. God created the world. God created it, his creation, and it was good. He said it was good. And if it's good by God's standards, it is dang good. So he made this great, beautiful, good world. Everything was, it's nothing like it looks now. This is nothing like it was ever intended to be originally. And God made us, male and female, in his image and likeness, which is good, which was fantastic. It's God in, in his image and likeness. And we witnessed the loving and kind nature of God. And seeing God make creation for us and then attentively prepare it, including a beautiful garden for us to live in and enjoy for the human occupancy, we saw the humility of God to serve us. God is good. And, and seeing God speak to mankind to Adam and Eve. We saw that God is initiating a personal relationship of love and communication with us and in blessing creation. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, we saw the generous nature of our generous God. In some, God is perfectly perfect. It was perfect and it was good. And subsequently, the human rebellion against God that began with the first sin altogether was foolish, tragic, and mad. And that's what went wrong. So let's talk about what went wrong. So you'll see in Genesis chapter 3, it's one of the most important chapters in the Bible because it explains the source and the solution for sin and death. It explains the reason why this all went bad and the reason, how, the reason it's going to get better or how it's going to get better, the solution for this. 
And we see here the entrance of the, of the serpent, which marks the beginning of the chaos of creation. And the serpent is Satan. It, it says, it talks about that in Revelation 12, 9, 22, that Satan began tempting Eve to mistrust God's word by changing the meaning, as he did likewise when he was tempting Jesus in Matthew. Uh, it's like saying, you shouldn't do that, and saying, don't do that. They mean the same thing. But we can manipulate it and have a conversation and be like, well, they didn't say don't do it. You shouldn't do it. I mean, like, you maybe could, you just shouldn't. But don't, yeah, don't do that. That's bad. So over time, it's the misuse. It means the same thing. Shouldn't and don't are the same thing. You, many of you have had conversations with kids or young people that are very good at this. I said you shouldn't do that. Oh, and that means don't. <laughs> it's the same thing. And so that's what happened. Uh, the short story, real quickly, what was going on here about Adam and Eve is um, God, God made us. And you have Adam and Eve, and, and they, they get to, this is utopia. They, they are on the land there, and every day they get to spend time um, together and cohabitate with God and, and as a father and to, and to speak with and to spend time with him. And there was only... A couple things he specifically laid down was, there's a tree of life, partake of it. I want you to live forever. This is good. But there's, there's something that you shouldn't have. You shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shouldn't do that, which meant don't. Don't do that. That's the, that's the one thing. But you have a choice, uh, but don't, don't do, you shouldn't do that. And what happened is over time, uh, the serpent or Satan slowly began just to whisper sweet nothings in Eve's ear, like uh, poison that, that came from his mouth in microscopic amounts, but slowly just started to pull Eve away from the heart of God and started making a shouldn't sound like, or a don't sound like a shouldn't, which sounds like a, I can maybe try this. I mean, God is good. Why would he put something bad here for me to enjoy? Why wouldn't he want me to enjoy this? And she partook of this fruit uh, specifically that God said you shouldn't have. And um, there then became this break between man and God. And then Adam willing, willingly uh, partook of this as well. And so ever since then, we've had this break. And God said, this is the thing that I ask that you not do. And we went ahead and did it. And so God is... Uh, it's super interesting how he dealt with this. Specifically, God lovingly clothed Adam and Eve to protect them. So the first thing he did is he lovingly clothed Adam and Eve to protect them. God also banished them from the tree of life, from the garden. Otherwise, they would have lived forever in sin with no hope of redemption. Can you imagine living in this world forever as it is and as it's getting worse? I, I, seriously, I couldn't. I don't know if I'd want to be a part of it that long. So that's God being gracious and loving, saying, you guys aren't going to have the tree of life anymore because otherwise you just live in the sin that you're in for the rest of your life with no hope of redemption. Today, we still bear the image of God. It's married and twisted by our pride and sin, which accounts for the tragedies and the evils in the world that proceed from us. It's in your notes there. Today, we still bear the image of God. Even though we're twisted and full of sin, uh, that's, that's how we know, your con that's your conscious, that's the, the likeness uh, of God. You know what's right and wrong, we know what's right and wrong, but it's twisted, it's twisted by our pride and our sin, 
And that's what accounts for the tragedies and the evils in the world that proceed from us today. So the question I want to answer right now is, what is sin? Uh, you know, most of us would ask it a lot of times because we just want to know, like, how far can we go? Like, where's the line? Is that because I need to know, you know, where I have some wiggle room here. And so I want to tell you guys that sin uh, includes both omission, which is where we do not do what we should, and commission, which is where we do what we should not do, okay? Sin includes our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our motives. Sin includes godlessness, which is ignoring God and living as if there were no God or as um, if one were God. Sin is invariably idolatry, which is replacing God with something or someone else, most often oneself. Sin includes individuals, it includes communities, it includes networks. Sin includes entire ways of thinking and acting, such as racism and pornography. Sometimes a sin is also a crime, such as a murder. Sometimes it isn't, such as idolatry. Sin can be done deliberately or in ignorance. The practice of a particular sin can occur once, it can occur regularly, or even frequently. Sin includes breaking God's laws, human laws, like speeding, <laughs> godly authority such as parents, where's all the students, <laughs> and the violation of one, one own spirit-led conscience. The, I know what's right and wrong, just choosing not to, to listen and to follow. Sin includes perversion, which is using good things for evil, evil purposes. Sin also includes pollution, which is infecting good things with evil. And lastly, sin is the turning of a good thing, um, such as uh, sex, money, work, comfort, fame, into the ultimate thing, so that it is worshipped as a god in place of God. The Bible uses many different images uh, for sin, to explain it, it says rebellion, folly, self-abuse, madness, treason, death, hatred, spiritual idolatry, missing the mark, wandering from the path, idolatry, uh, insanity, irrationality, pride, selfishness, blindness, deafness, a hard heart, a stiff neck, delusion, unreasonable, and self-worship. That's like everything. So simply put... This is the best way to, uh, to identify or to find sin, is write this down. If it hurts God, others, or yourself, it's sin. Ask yourself, if you're ever wondering, am I sinning in this moment? Ask yourself, does this hurt God, others, or myself? It could be all at the same time or it could be one at a time. It doesn't matter. Am I hurting myself? Many times we get kind of in that trap. I'm not doing anything to you. I'm just doing it to myself. You're sinning against yourself and God. To sum it up, God is perfectly perfect, and we are not, and we need help, because we are everything on that list. We cannot avoid it. So how does God respond to sin? Like a loving father. Fathers, listen to this. He responds to the sin like a loving father. God warned our first parents, Adam and Eve, of the consequences of sin. Nonetheless, they have each chosen, and we have chosen as well, to sin against God. And because God is holy, he must deal with this sin. Because he's loving, he has chosen to do so in a way that 
we could be forgiven and restored to right relationship with him. In doing so, God is honoring us by showing us that we are made for more than sin. He's honoring us by saying you're made for more than sin and he expects more from us. God is perfectly perfect and we are not. We need help, we need a saved savior, and we need to be redeemed. God is perfectly perfect and we are not and he knows it and we need help. Not just help, we need to be saved and redeemed. I wanna tell you that throughout the Bible, if you, if you just looked at it from a distance, there are two threads that weave it together. And what you find is um, promise and fulfillment are the two things that are going on throughout the entire Bible. You see in the Old Testament that it would simply fit under the promise or the promises uh, section of that. And then the category of promise. In the New Testament is the recording of the fulfillment in the person and in the work of Jesus. And so the birth of Jesus is a fulfillment of a series of promises also called prophecies, that are given hundreds, sometimes thousands of years in advance. Uh, God, who is sovereign and over foreknowing all of future, telling us in detail exactly what his plan is for human history and the coming of Jesus into human history. A number of prophecies could be shared, uh, promises that God makes to us in the Old Testament of the coming. And we see this right away. In Genesis 3, 15, as uh, you know, Adam and Eve were, were banished from the garden, we also see the judgment uh, God gave the serpent, and as he was talking to the woman as well, it says this, this is from the Father's words or God's words, and I want you to hear it uh, because you might hear it in a way that you haven't perceived before. It says in Genesis three fifteen, you and this woman will hate each other. Your descendants and hers will always be enemies. One of hers, one of hers will strike you on the head and you will strike him on the heel. The word one, the word one, let that reverberate in your spirit over again. One of hers, who was this one? Who's the one? This was the first of the promises. It was the problem and the solution, all right there in the beginning. We see it as it kind of weaves and continues to go on throughout the Bible. Abraham, whom loves God with all of his heart and who God finds favor on. And we see him, how, he, how then he speaks into Abraham uh, after he was extremely faithful with his son Isaac and said, your seed Christ shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and by him bless themselves because you have heard and obeyed my voice. You, I will use you. King David, who was a powerful king, who had many mistakes, yet um, loved God and repented to God over and over and over again. The prophet Nathan spoke over him. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up the seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And we see later the, the prophet Isaiah, 
later, roughly 700 years before Jesus was born, God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7:14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God says the answer to the human sin problem is Emmanuel. It's a title, which means what? God with us. It's going to send God to be with us. So God coming into human history, God is coming to visit our planet and be with the people. How will we know who Emmanuel is? This is God come to be with you. The answer, look for a virgin, mother, uh, and the virgin will give birth to a male son. It's never happened before and it's never going to happen again. So if you're wondering who that God guy is that's come to be with us, Find a lady that's a virgin and having a kid. The expectation and the anticipation was a savior is coming. There's many, many, many prophecies of, of, of this. And the expe- expectation and anticipation was a savior is coming, a deliverer, a redeemer, a hero. He will be God among us. He'll be born of a vir- virgin as a male son in some little town. Um, with dozens or hundreds of people, oh, Bethlehem, and everyone was anticipating and waiting this miraculous visitation from God to fix the sin problem, to fix the way that this world is going, and the track is on, the tact. And then there was this crazy silence. The last prophet we hear from was Malachi, which is God's messenger. He's the last one that speaks to us, and then suddenly there's silence. God had spoken to, come down to, and through Many, many people had kept coming down and suddenly there's the great silence, as they call it, where God was quiet and ceased to exist among the people for 400 years. It lasted for for some 400 years. The voice of God hadn't been uttered since the prophet Malachi. And throughout the years of silence, the chosen people had moved from a quiet concern to agitated and anxiety. Where is his prophet's? Where is his voice? Where is this redeemer, this savior that was to come? And it was felt so far away. There were nothing but, they'd started to become nothing more than whispers and rumors amongst the common folk that this would happen. But it wasn't what they expected. They weren't what you expected. They were these two young kids. A young man named Joseph who came down from the lineage of King David, and a young woman named Mary, a virgin. They were the antithesis of what you would think they would be. They were the complete opposite. They wouldn't even see them coming. They, they're rural, not urban. They're poor, not rich. They're powerless, not powerful. They're worshipers of God, not being worshipped as gods. These were the people that God chose to send in through his redeemer, the savior of the world, to be God with us. They were looking for the ultimate. We were looking for the ultimate rule follower and fulfiller, not one filled with love, but the law. That's what Jesus was supposed to be. That's what people were looking for. That's what we were looking for. There's only two ways that everyone usually answers this question. And the question is, how do we connect to God? How is God going to get to us or how are we going to get to God again? to make this relationship right, to fix what was broken. And it's everyone else's way and the Bible's way. 
So let's look at everyone else's way. Everyone else's way is this. The distance between us and God, uh, particularly, uh, you know, elongated by sin, is closed by us ascending toward God through morality, uh, through reincarnation, through good works, through um, this uh, paying off your karmic debt, uh, trying harder, doing better, just being a good person. I'm a good person. They're not very good. I'm getting closer. I'm ascending to God and being more God-like because I'm loving people and I've done nice things. I've given to many charities. It's pride. It's pride to think that we rise up to God. We become closer to God, more like God through our own effort. We become more God-like. Christianity, the Bible says, it's all about God coming down to us. We don't go up to God. He comes down to us. It's not about pride. It's about humility. It's not about what we do. It's about what he does. It's not about the favor we merit. It's about the grace that he gives. The whole doctrine of the incarnation, which is God became flesh, is not that a person became God. That's a, that's a common question. Did a person become God? No, it's not that a person became God to show us how we can be God-like. It's how God became a person because he loves us and he came to be with us. So people missed it back then. People completely missed it back then. And they're still missing it today. Are you? Are you missing that? There was a... A story not long ago uh, about CVS, uh, the pharmacy store, and there was a a man and a woman, uh, a man and her girlfriend. They were outside of the CVS, and she started having an, an asthma attack. And uh, you know, if you're an asthmatic, you know you usually always carry your inhaler with you. She didn't have her inhaler with her, so they quickly went into the CVS store and up to the pharmacy clerk and got ready to buy the inhaler. And it was twenty one dollars. The inhaler was. And all this man had with him was $20. He didn't have another way to pay for it. And she was having a major asthma attack to the point that she then collapsed. And this man begged this clerk, please give her, she's dying in front of us, please give me the medicine. And he wouldn't do it. The rule was it was $21. He couldn't break the rules. And so he, it says then that he offered his cell phone, his keys, his wallet. He showed, to show that his address was right around the corner. He would be back to give him the dollar. Please help my girlfriend. She's going to die. And she ended up passing out after she had collapsed and still never uh, gave her the medicine that she needed to save her life. And other people that were around had been called the paramedics. The paramedics got there, gave her the medicine she needed, and went off to the hospital, and she ended up being okay. But that's crazy, a dollar. A, that, that man was willing to let that woman die for a dollar because of the law, because of the rule. Um, there's a similar story not even a couple months ago in Tennessee outside of, uh, they have, outside the county lines, they have a, a fire due that you need to pay once a year. It's a $75 like fire due. Um, and if you don't pay it, then you don't get protection. And um, there was a fire that started outside of this man's house and it slowly worked its way to his house and his house caught on fire and the fire department showed up and watched this man's house burn down because he hadn't paid the $75 uh, to have his house protected by this fire protection. 
And people there offered, they had their checkbooks out, offered to pay them three times as much uh, money if they would just please put this fire out at this man's house. There's a, I guess a story not that long ago, out in Alameda, a man drowned out there because they weren't, uh, the rescuers weren't trained in water rescue. Um, so it's not that they couldn't, they, they were told that they can't because they weren't trained, they couldn't go rescue this person and they ended up dying. How many of that does that make you frustrated or angry? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, that one dollar that CVS tried to save, I think, cost them millions because <laughs> of that moment. But you know what I started thinking? I, like, twisted it around a little bit, and I looked at it that I'm missing it. You can go, man, they are missing it. A dollar is worth a life? Uh, uh, the $75 fire protection is worth this man's house? They're totally missing it. But then I started thinking about myself. If I flip that around, we do the same thing all the time. There's people that I pass every day. I go to Starbucks all the time. They know me. I know them. I know their name. They know my name. I don't have conversations with them. They're dying in front of me because we live in a terribly gone wrong world. We have a broken relationship with a perfectly perfect God. And they need a savior. And they need help. And I'm not helping. I go to in and out all the time. They know my name. I have my own seat, like table reserved. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> I walk in, I'm getting it from the there, there. They're all excited. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm killing myself and letting them die because of a burger. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but we're, we miss it. How many people are, are you not helping? We could look at the same way. Can you imagine what God's looking out and thinking? They're, miss, they're, they're missing it. That's what Jesus came down. That's how we missed it so much. He came down because of love, not the law. And they all got so upset. But that's, you're breaking the rules. And he would continually say, but that's a person that I love. So I want you to ask yourself, how can you help? And I want you to tell you, there's some people in here that need to know you can get help. Because a perfectly perfect, loving God sent a Savior, just like he said he would, to us so we can get help. And we can all have it. And I don't want you to miss it. There's a, there's a way you can think about this. Have you ever thought about just the scene from up top. You know, the world has gone ugly and bad real fast. And I can just imagine Jesus going to his father saying, how can I help? And the father looking down and being, it's a mess down there. And Jesus again saying to his dad, how can I help? And he's telling him, it's going to cost Everything. It's going to cost so much. And again, him saying, But Dad, how can I help? You can only imagine as the father puts his arm around his only son and says, It's going to cost you your life. So ask yourself, How can you help? Or tell yourself, Today I can get help. Because I'm here to help. 
We're here to help. So for those of you who already are a Jesus follower, that you're already receiving the help in all of your helpless moments and all your good ones, I'm going to give you your how to change the way people view the church challenge this week. That you're going to be a helper this week. My challenge to you is we have those cards Pastor Ken talked about earlier out in the lobby on your way out that are nice little cards. And it's simply an invitation to come to one of the Christmas services that we collectively are part of and putting on. And all that it really is is an invitation to a date. We're not going to change their heart. You're not going to change their heart. But you're going to invite someone to a blind date. Think of it that way. That's how you're going to help. You're going to make a meeting place. And the hope is that the more often people get to come to this meeting place, and the more they see that this Jesus is so in love with them that, and he came to help, that eventually they're going to fall in love with him too. And they're going to get the help they needed. So how can you help? I want you guys to think of someone individually, not together, individually, that you can take and you can give that card to and individually invest into, invite them on a date to come and get help. Because everybody needs a savior and he came to help everyone. Sound good? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.